At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. much more spiritual than me. <laughs> Children, wife. Okay, what, what are some things? Did someone say socks? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I saw someone, oh, pointing to your husband. Wow. Aw. Everyone say aw. That's so, that's so kind of you, right? Yes. So I think about that question. It's packed, right? Maybe some of us, we are gifted a vacation. You know, maybe we were gifted an Xbox. Or if you're younger, one of the newer systems. Maybe it was a, a Red Rider BB gun. <laughs> Whatever we were given, and no matter how great the gift is, it's amazing that probably some of our greatest gifts are things that aren't necessarily expensive per se. <laughs> But it's, it's rather who we receive the gift from. You know, I think about even myself and being a father. It's interesting how uh, gifts have changed over time, right? Uh, when I was younger, I wanted just stuff. But now I've realized it, it's, the, it's the gift from a child. It's the moment, the quality time from them that, that matters most. Actually, one of my favorite gifts that I got is a little piece of paper from my daughter. <laughs> See, I think I have a halo on top of my head, which is fairly accurate, okay? <laughs> and I got this from my daughter. She said, Dad, you're my only dad. I have. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or ever will have. I love you. Thank you for providing for me and our family. You are such a blessing. I'm lucky to have you as an amazing dad. XOXO. You're an amazing dad. What I'm trying to say is we love you. I think about this. Crumpled up paper. Cool little rainbow. I'm rocking a pretty awesome beard, stick figure. And yet this is what makes it in my nightstand. It's what makes it in my memory box. Because when you think about gifts, it, it's not the value that makes it great, how much it costs, but it's, it's who it came from. And so as we go into this Christmas season, I, I, 
I think it's so interesting as we look at the word, how Jesus values things so different than us. And how God uses what seems like pieces of paper and, and things that are uh, not looked at as, as super important and makes them very significant. And he values the things that are very different than, than what we tend to value. And, and I think about even our big idea for the day, which is in Jesus, the least can become the greatest. The least of these can become the greatest of these. And why in the Christmas story did people become great, even though in, in culture's eyes they were looked at as small? It was because of the relationship with Jesus. It changed everything. And so as we dig into Matthew chapter 2 and we start continuing through the Christmas story and through our series fulfilled we're gonna see how Jesus takes what seems to be least and, and makes it great and so what we're gonna be reading it takes place after his birth and, and there's a story of the wise men and so I want you to jump into verse 1 of chapter 2, and we're just going to jump right into this. And this is what it says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. So the context here is that Jesus, he's going to be born, right, in Bethlehem. And you have these wise men that are coming from the east. And they come, they come to worship him. And so in this story, I just want us to take the wise men for a second. Let's, let's make them elf on the shelf. Or, um, as I heard recently, Smeagol on a Beagle. Um, I thank you, Andy Wisman, for that one. But here we have these wise men, and we're going to put them over here for a second. And you have Herod, who's the king at the time, and he hears this news. And he's troubled. He's bothered. So bothered that he hears about this king that he needs to learn, he needs to understand. And of course, he's not educated in the scriptures. He doesn't know the word of God to the degree that, that he could understand these prophecies. So what does he do? He goes to those who are scholarly, who are educated, 
He goes to the priests. He goes to the scribes. And he talks to them. And he says, hey, what does this mean? Where, where are we going to find this Christ? And they knew immediately. They said, oh, he, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We see what's happening here is it's actually quoting from the Old Testament from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Because this is prophesied about over 700 years before Jesus was born. They said this is where the Savior is going to be born. Let's look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. See, God already gave them the blueprint for where Jesus would be born. And I think it's interesting how Matthew interprets the text to emphasize the insignificance of Bethlehem. You ever catch that? Matthew made it a priority to show that even the birth of Jesus and, and how he was born and where he was born was even insignificant in Micah's day. We, we know Bethlehem because we know where Jesus was born. But Bethlehem was not this awesome metropolis, super influential city in ancient Israel. It was, it was seemingly insignificant. Even in 2 Samuel 5.2, it shows us that Jesus, who's going to be the son of David, and he's going to be born and rule and shepherd the nation back. But I, but I think about the ways in which Jesus came into the world, where he was born, the insignificance of all of it. It's very interesting how he takes these things and he uses it to show us greatness isn't based on our reputation. He didn't have the reputation. He didn't have the prestige. And, and it begs the question of all the places in the ancient world, why would God have Jesus born in a place like Bethlehem? I mean, come on, why not the holy city, Jerusalem, right? Doesn't that make sense? Or, or maybe even another major city. Or even a major city in another nation. The first answer to that is, well, it was prophesied that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. But I think it's more than that. You know, I, I think about Bethlehem, and I was doing some research on the city, and it, and it gained a little more prominence during Herod's time because he created and built a fortress there. But really, it was just a town, and it was kind of on a trade route between, you know, Egypt and, and Jerusalem, and it was 
you know, just south of Jerusalem, not too many miles. And, and so it, it really never reached this, this peak. But throughout the entirety of the Christmas story, it just shows us that God uses insignificant people and places to remind us how he works. God can, can use what's seemingly unimportant to make profound impact. And, and I know that relates to us because we say, man, what could we do? Who can we be? God uses insignificant people and places for significant purposes in the kingdom of God. Guys, our, our reputation doesn't define our, our greatness, negative or positive. Bethlehem wasn't anything special. It didn't have a good reputation. In fact, it was thought to be little, too even to be little among the clans of Israel. And yet it gained value because who was born there? It was valuable not because of the beautiful geographical location and, and right off the water or the mountains or a ski resort. It's only known or only prominent because the Savior of the world was born there. So church, I, I think about us. We need to know that, that our past, it doesn't define us. God does. Your, your reputation doesn't define you. God does. And, and even as we see these stories and what seems insignificant, God can take that and, and glorify it. Glorify us. And, and I know in this room, a lot of us, we might even say, man, look, look at my scraps. Look at the things. What, what could I offer? Or, hey, maybe I, I got enough baggage. I have two storage units and then a, and a, and a trailer. And, man, I'm carrying stuff. I got so much stuff. And, and again, we see that greatness isn't based on a reputation. That God can use us for significant purposes no matter what we bring, or no matter what we don't bring. Which leads to the second thing we see, that greatness isn't based on identity. Our greatness is, is not based on our identity. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Let's, let's read over verse 1 again, because we're going to talk about these, uh, these wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in, Jeru in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We're going to bounce over to verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. 
Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. See, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling him, calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them. And then he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So guys, as we, as we read this, and we, we read about these magi, and, and the word magi is what we hear most often. It's from this Greek word, mogos. And so mogos, magi, what does that sound like in English? Magic, or magician, right? There's been a lot of misunderstanding about these, these three wise men. Maybe you hear three kings, three magi, and ultimately this original title of Mogos in the Greek, it comes from a Persian priestly council. It was essentially a group of people that would advise the king. They were very well educated, and they specialized in astrology, so reading the stars and, and dreams, and in some cases, uh, magical arts. And so these magi, they, they were found all over the Roman world, but were specifically associated with Babylonia. And see, Babylonia was from the east. And so when they said, hey, these three wise men, they came from the east, that's probably in the region where they came from. And so we sing songs about three kings, and there, there's nothing that we see that, that shows that they were actually three kings. What we do see is that they bring three gifts. And like our Christmas songs portray, um, they, they were probably pagans. It, it looks very probable that they were not believers. They were astrologers, enchanters, magicians, wizards of some sort. And this makes sense because the way in which they, they found Jesus, they found him because they saw his star. That's how they came to understand that, that Jesus was going to be born because of them reading the, the stars. But regardless, the identity of these guys was that they were magicians or sorcerers who most likely were, were not worshipers of God. So hopefully that gives us some clarity about them. And so after assembling together, together with the chief priests and, and the magi and, and Herod, he, he's trying to get control of the situation. Right? He, he's not happy about this. Right? He's troubled. And he says, hey, go and, and find them. And, and he ultimately wants to go and, and destroy this child, to destroy Jesus. Why? Because his identity was completely wrapped up 
in, in his title, in his position, in his job. He was this king. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He had so much prominence. He was known as a great architect. He had all these things going for him. And now he hears that the king, the king of the Jews is here. He was afraid that his identity would be lost. And I think that's important for us to remedy. Because so often we can wrap our identity in things outside of Christ. It's so easy. We can wrap our identity in our, in, our, in our spouse in a very unhealthy way, in our girlfriend or boyfriend, in our education, in our jobs, in, in what we have in the bank, in, in whatever we can get our hands on. It is so easy to misplace our identity. And, and that's what was happening with King Herod. He wanted to protect and hold on so tight to his identity as a powerful man and as a king. You know, the Magi had the identity of being, being pagan astrologers, enchanters, and musicians. But yet they went to search for the Savior. And, and when they met him... Right? You have these priests and scribes and you have this king who wants them to die. And then eventually these priests and scribes, they didn't, did, not, did not show up and eventually were a thorn in Christ's flesh. But it was the pagan sorcerers from the east who rejoiced exceedingly with great joy at the Savior. Think about that. Shouldn't the priests and the scribes be the one rejoicing? Or the king of that land? You got three random dudes from the east that are the ones that are bowing before him and bringing him gifts. And we remember them. We still recognize them because of their connection to Jesus. Because they found him. The Magi show us that greatness in the kingdom of God isn't based on identity. Rather, it's based on how we respond to Jesus. You see, greatness, it, it doesn't come from this, this ghost of identity that we're trying to chase in this world. It's only found in Christ. That's it. It is only found in Christ, which leads to my, my last thing I want to talk through. Greatness is based on a relationship to Jesus. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 11. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We got the three famous gifts, right? So the three men came 
to the manger, and they offered and brought gold, frankincense, and uh, wait, there was one myrrh. One, um, I'm sorry. I actually wrote that one down. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you. Tell my wife you enjoyed that one, please. Please, just should be here second service. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you have this picture. Let's reel it back in. You got insignificant Bethlehem. You got these three wise men, most likely pagans from the east. You got this manger. And then here in this scene, they present these expensive gifts. I mean, these were very expensive gifts. Ones that you did not find in a traditional Jewish home. But these, these men, their significance. Why we have songs and, and we have, we could buy three wise men lights and put them on our front lawn is because of the relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They, they responded with, with these costly gifts and it was a sign of humility and a sign of worship and adoration. And you know, I think about humility, that's that's so important, guys. Look how Jesus was humble and how he, he flipped greatness on itself. Look at Psalm 2, 5-11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him with the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God forever. You know, in the kingdom of God, greatness is about being lowly and humble. And we see a king, some priests and scribes, the ones who should have understood. They missed it. But these magi, they didn't. While these priests and these, the king, they had the right reputation and identity in the world. They had missed the mark in that in Jesus, the least can become the greatest. And we have the humility with him. 
You know, I, I've shared stories before about um, my dad's landscaping business. And when I went to college and I would come back for the summer, my dad, he would just be like, hey, here's a landscaping business. Run with it. And I'll see you in a couple months. This is my break time. And so he would give me a list every day. And I would take that list and it, I would mainly go myself. Occasionally we would have uh, another worker. But I remember he would give me my list and by the end of the summer I pretty much knew what I was going to do. I knew my schedule. I knew if it rained, how I would adjust. But I always remember when I had this one lady on my list that it was going to be a long day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> loved this lady, loved her. Her name was Adeline. And Adeline was a sweet elderly lady. She was a widow. And when I would go to her home, it was in the middle of the woods. She had no cable. She had no internet. All her appliances were from the 60s and 70s. Her husband had been passed for over 10 years. And I would do these odd end jobs, right? It'd be like, carry boxes upstairs. I'm like, okay. You know, and then I would trim around some trees and, and cut down some of the bushes so she could look out her window and dig a couple random or fill in some holes from, you know, critters that would get around her yard. It was just the easiest jobs, the best jobs were just mow, trim, leave. And this one, it just seemed that it would take hours and I really wouldn't know what I would accomplish. So I remember one time I went and, and we had talked and, you know, I moved some boxes and took some stuff that I would take to Goodwill. And I was just so frustrated. I was like, man, I thought I was going to get done early today. And I looked at the time. I was there for two hours. So I called my dad on my old Motorola flip phone. And I said, hey, Dad, I just finished. I've been here two hours. Uh, what do I charge? You know, I don't even know what to charge her. And he said, son, charge her nothing. He said, I just wanted you to go and spend some time with her. And uh, she doesn't have any kids, doesn't have any nephews or nieces. Her siblings have all passed away. She's in her 90s. I just wanted you to go and have a couple hours with her so she could see someone and talk to someone. She's always so excited when you come around. You can imagine how big I felt. It's all about dad taught me a lesson that day. Now here I was missing the mark. Missing that this was a child of God. Who for some reason I, I didn't think that she deserved all this time or all this energy. My young mind. Turns out my my dad and mom ended up picking her up and driving her to church about 10 years <laughs> until she went to meet the father. I think about that, guys. Those who, in the eyes of our world, we look at as least and weakest and insignificant. They might not have the home or the paycheck or the title or the family, or the appearance. They are beautiful children of the King. God takes what is least and makes it the greatest 
So the question is, what is what is your relationship with Jesus? Where are you at? Are you banking on your reputation or your identity, prestige to get you in to those pearly gates? Because it's all about relationship. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, through the Christmas story, changed the definition of greatness. And I don't want anyone in this room thinking for a second that you are not great. Because you are. Not because of this Greek guy on stage saying it. (laughs) Because the king says so. And what the king says is true. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.